0: We continue today with our um, study on the book of the Acts of the Apostles, part 17. The book of the Acts of the Apostles, part 17. The last time we met to discuss the doctrine of baptisms, that must have been about three weeks ago, I believe, we began to look at the crux, the core, the essence, the significance, the purpose, and application of baptisms as it relates to a Christian. The first on the crux of the, baptism of, of the doctrine of baptisms we looked at is that baptisms can be likened to the rites of passage of a Christian. We spoke of these rites of passage as a permanent transition, an irreversible conversion, and a transformation in the mold of the metamorphosis of a butterfly, where the butterfly metamorphoses from an egg... To an active but destructive caterpillar, to a cocoon, docile pooper, before finally emerging as a butterfly. Through baptisms, the Christian transitions from a former life which was sinful, sin loving, selfish, and lived for the world, to a new life which is righteous, holy, sin abhorrent, selfless, and lived for Christ. Put another way, baptisms speak of the irreversible conversion of an erstwhile, sin-laden, self-centered, evil and worldly nature, to a nature that is sin-abhorrent, other-centered, righteous and Christ-like. The Christian, through baptisms, that is its transitions, conversion and transformation, grows to spiritual maturity as he or she comes to the vivid realization that he or she is no longer a part of a former life and lifestyle but part of a new life and lifestyle. Thus, through baptisms, the Christian is brought into the body of Christ, where he or she is separated from the world and out of Satan's control, and then empowered to witness and live for Christ, and enabled to overcome the challenges of life, no matter how overwhelming they may seem to be. The Christian realizes that he or she is no longer a part of the world, but now a part of the body of Christ. That he or she is no longer a subject of Satan and his kingdom, but one who lives under the authority of God and a citizen of heaven. That he or she no longer lives for himself or herself, but for God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That he or she is no longer to be subject to fear and its torments, but rather to recognize his or her power and authority in Christ. Through baptisms, We are made to realize that we can no longer live as we did before we met with Christ and were saved from the wrath of God upon sinners. Baptisms reinforce the truth about the new life which the believer must continue to live. A life that is intricately bound to other believers. A life of unity with other believers. A life of love toward all men. A life of humility before God and man. A life of the display of God's power in and through him or her. And a life of absolute dependence on God for everything, including breathing, eating, working, raising a family, and so on. Indeed, baptisms are more than a ceremony. They are a mark of the transformation that has taken place in the life of a believer in Christ. We take three texts. Acts chapter 1 verse 5. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 through to 2a. And Romans chapter 6 verse 3 to 6. Acts chapter 1 verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This scripture tells us that there is more than one baptism. And basically that's from the primary text, as it were, that we were looking at or have been looking at. Now we go to Hebrews chapter 6, from verse 1, and we'll read up to the, end, the first part of verse 2. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, And of faith toward God. Of the doctrine of baptisms. Of the doctrine of baptisms. And now we go to Romans chapter 6. And we are going to read from verse 3 through to verse 6. Speaking about baptisms. Or do you not know that as many of us as we were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, know that word, united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We also shall be united together with him in his resurrection. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, we must have this knowledge that having been saved through Christ, when Christ was crucified on the cross, we were in him. We also were crucified within. But what was crucified was not our body. But what? The body, that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. Baptisms make us to understand that we are dead to sin. When the man is put into the water... We are burying him, haven't died. And when he's coming up, he's been resurrected to a newness of life. He takes on a new identity. He's a new person, a new creation in Christ. Do you understand that? He's not the old man that we used to know. He's a new man. A new thing has happened in his life. So, what we want to do tonight, or this evening, is to move on to the next crooks, or next crooks, or the core, the next major significance of the subject of the doctrine of baptisms. It's our prayer that the Holy Spirit, as usual, will teach us himself, and make the truth in the word of God a reality in our lives. So, we shall be discussing under the doctrine of baptisms, Our identification mark our identification mark all over the world people are identified by many physical marks such as facial marks speech or tongue skin complexion physical height body build and so on also nations of the world identify their citizens through national identification cards international passports or similar documents In a similar manner, baptisms are a mark of identification of those who are believers in Christ. Praise the name of the Lord. What we are saying in essence is, if you go to certain parts of this country, for example, or anywhere in Nigeria, in fact, you see certain people with certain tribal marks. If you know them, if you understand what that tribal mark is, you will know where that man has come from. You know, especially in the southwest, you know whether it's a bar, or it's a Yor, or it's from a Bomo shore, or any other place. In the east here also, I think there are some facial marks that people have. In Nigeria also, when certain people speak, you can tell where they are from when they speak English. But of course, there are times when you see a man with full tribal marks, speaking Queen's English, with the accent of the British. Of course, you get confused about what happened here. You had the tribal mark, but probably was raised over there and uh, assimilated that culture very well. But that is basically what we're saying, that we have an identification mark. And baptisms become the, the means by which that marking is put on you and I. So let's look at one major scripture, which will be the scripture that we shall look at as we look at other scriptures Tonight, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. I'm going to need um, other translations at this point in time. The Living Bible is here. Sister Grace probably will help us with that. Emmanuel, you have the message. Okay, so we'll just take those two and see. I think I have have good news. I'm easy to read. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him, that is, in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In circumcision the foreskin is cut off. The Bible is telling us here that baptism, through baptism, there is a putting off, a cutting away of the body of sin from our lives. Do you understand that? So, whilst the circumcision, the foreskin of the male uh, anatomy is cut off, in baptisms, what happens is that the, the nature of man to sin is actually cut off. Baptism merely announces that. It is done by Christ Jesus. It's what Jesus Christ has done. Without human hands, in circumcision, what happens? You need the knife to cut it. You need a human being to do it. But in this aspect, it is what Christ does. And baptism merely announces what has already been done. That we were buried with him in baptism. So when we are doing baptism, we bury that fellow, we bring him out, we say he has not been raised up to a of life. It is what has taken place. Do you understand that? But through baptism, we perform a physical act to authenticate a spiritual truth that has taken place in the life of that fellow. Do you understand that? Let me explain differently. When a man crosses from one party to another party with his group, a day will come he has crossed over. But a day will now come when he will be declared to everybody that this man has crossed over. Is that understood? At that time, he comes with his group. Maybe it's a rally, and they have a rally. And they now announce him that he has na- is now a member of our party. Was he a member of the party that day that announcement was made? No, he had been a member. But it is now a public declaration. In the same way, Christian baptism or water baptism becomes a public announcement that you are done with the world and you are now in Christ. Holy Spirit baptism is that public announcement because one of the, one of the, the the physical evidence that a person has been baptized in the Holy Ghost is what? No. Speaking in tongues. So when he speaks in tongues, what does it do? what does that baptism now do? It announces that this fellow has now become a part of the body not only Through water baptism, but spiritually, you recall that something like that happened in Acts chapter 10. When, uh, what's their name now? Um, Cornelius invited Peter. And whilst Peter was preaching, they began to speak in tongues. And as they spoke in tongues, Peter said, Can anybody forbid the baptism? Christian baptism of baptism into into water. Because there was no point of saying, come and give your life to Christ. These fellows were speaking in, in tongues, meaning that they had been sealed, identified as belonging to Christ. So baptism is our identification mark that we are Christ. Now let's take Living Bible first. Living Bible first here.
1: Colossians 2.11-12 When you came to Christ, He set you free from your evil desires, not by a bodily operation of circumcision, but by a spiritual operation, the baptism of your souls. For in baptism you see how your old evil nature died with Him and was buried with Him. And then you came up out of death with him into a new life, because you trusted the word of the mighty God who raised Christ from the dead.
0: So, we say to us that baptism is an act
1: that is making you to understand
0: what has taken place in your life when you gave your life to Christ. Do you understand that? It's it's saying something to you. So, we need to all go through it. So that you can understand and be assured that this thing actually has happened to you. Let's take the message.
2: Entering into the into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve.
0: Not, not, please, note what the hard message put in. It says entering into the fullness is talking about what has happened. Before that in Christ you have the fullness of the of the, the God that dwells in body, and we haven't been in Christ. We are a part of that fullness now. He now said entering into that fullness, you don't figure it out. Continue.
2: It is it's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws.
0: Pause. is trying to explain certain things. In those days, the issue, the challenge was, after people had been born again, they insisted that they needed to be circumcised because these were Gentiles. And so Paul is making a case here that, look, circumcision is not the issue here. If you are interested in the rituals of circumcision, it has already taken place in your life. Christ has done it, and not only has Christ done it, in a physical sense, the, the baptism that you went through demonstrates it. That's the point it's meant to make. Continue to read.
2: No, you are already in. Insiders, not through some secretive initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you.
0: Pause. Incircumcision is not a public thing. Do you understand? It's something that is done privately. But in this baptism is a public thing. People are there to see to to see that this man indeed is one of us. In those days, amongst the Jews particularly, baptism was an immediate thing. But over over the centuries, people have not understood what it is. So a teaching has to take place before the fellow comes. So by the time the fellow is coming to be baptized, he understands what is taking place, what or what is going through. Do you understand? He knows that what I am going through here is a what, what, what I'm looking for now? Is a public reenactment of what happened to me in the spirit physically. So there is no um, playing about what happened to him. He you cannot wake him up tomorrow and say that you are not born again. He knows he is born again. He understands what has happened to him. He has been taught and he has gone through it, even declaring in it. That he is through with Satan and now one with Christ. Continue, please. Okay, um, so,
2: verse twelve. Verse 12. Destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual, mm-hmm. you are mm-hmm. after. You've already been through it by submitting to baptism.
0: Pause. It says that all these people who are uh-huh, who were looking for circumcision to say that we are circumcised and so now we are all right. If that's what we are looking for, it's already been done. The day you put off sin, you are circumcised. What this scripture is trying to say is that there is a similarity between circumcision in the old, under the old covenant, and baptism under the new covenant. Even though there are differences. Do you understand that? So, if you are saying, oh, I have not been circumcised, you have been circumcised, through baptism. The Bible says, the circumcision of Christ without hands. Is that, is that it? Going... Finish it. Okay.
2: Going under the water was the burial of your old life. Right. Coming up out of it was the resurrection. God raising you from the dead, from the, from the dead as he did Christ.
0: Good. So, is, is, is basically a, a physical demonstration of a spiritual truth. And what it does is, it marks you on. Let me read the easy to read version here. It says, In Christ, you had a different kind of circumcision. One that was not done by human hands. That is, you were made free from the power of your sinful self. The the, the sinful nature That kept you bound to sin. What happened? It was circumcised. It was cut off. That is the kind of circumcision Christ does. Verse 12. When you were baptized, you were buried with Christ. And you were raised up with him because of your faith in God's power. God's power was shown when he raised Christ from death. So, in baptism, we identify With the suffering, the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our identification mark. That as Christ was, so were we. I don't have to physically die to have died. Do you understand? And the manifestation is in the fact that sin has been cut off from my life. I should no longer be sinning. We'll be discussing that aspect when we're looking at the third cross, either the third or the fourth cross. Let me just tell you briefly here that we've looked at the rites of passage rites. We're looking at our identification mark or our identity. Baptism actually tells us our identity, declares it uh, vividly to us. Then we're going to look at the matter of experience. Because many of us are baptized, we've seen what baptism seeks to achieve. But we are not living it. Many of us don't see it. So we talk of the experience of it. And then, the fourth one, is that we we'll take the, the, the experience last or we we'll take it third, I'm not sure. But the, the, the last one after experience is a matter of faith. Baptisms are a matter of faith. If you are looking for something physically, you won't get anything. So if you are trying to experience what baptism brings, the blessings of baptism, it must be appropriated How? By faith, by depending on Christ, by trusting Him. So that's basically the, the core of what baptisms seek towards. The doctrine of baptism, that's basically the core of it. Now, on this subject of circumcision, if you go to Genesis chapter 17, this was where God came and spoke to Gen- um, Abraham. And let's read from verse 10 to 14. Genesis 17 from 10 to 14. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Please note that under the old covenant, who was circumcised? Only males. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your four skins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. I need to make a statement here. I listened on radio once as they were speaking against uh, female mutilation, what they call circumcision. And a man who claims to be a believer said on radio that the Bible asked him to circumcise. And I wonder which scripture is he reading? The same scripture that we are reading. Which way in the Bible is, this, is he reading that females are to be circumcised? It's not written. Men have a way of just picking up the wrong things. We don't do the right thing. We always want to do the wrong thing. In verse 12. He who is eight days old. This is why we circumcise their uh, children as when they are eight days old. But it doesn't make us Jews. Do you understand? Our circumcision is just something we do for whatever reason. It doesn't make us Jews. It doesn't make us Christians. It doesn't make that baby a Christian. That baby will soon grow up to come and accept Christ. Do you understand that? Aha. He, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. As long as he is born there, he is circumcised. Verse 13. He who is born in your house. And he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. That is, the mark will be upon your flesh. That's my identification mark of knowing who is a Jew or not. Now let me ask you a question. That identification mark, is it for another man? Do you say, man, drop your pants. I want to see whether you're a Jew or not. Whose benefit is that identification mark? Whose benefits? No. It's for God's. God says it must, be, it must be circumcised, otherwise he's cut off from the rest of Israel. That's how I know who, who a Jew is. That's how I know that this is one of my own. But then people said it's circumcising all over the place anyhow. It made it rubbish. It was not so much circumcision. We are going to see that later. It's not so much circumcision, but what actually takes place in your life. In verse 40 says, And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So the the Jew who is not circumcised is not considered a person of God. That's basically what the old the old covenant was about. Circumcision was a mark of identifying who a true Jew was before God. But that was a physical act. Do you understand that? It was physical. I didn't put that scripture there. But let's read it anyway. Romans chapter 2. I think we are going to encounter it at some point in time. But let's just read it from 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep what? The law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So all those who were making so much noise about circumcision, and circumcision, this was what Paul was trying to emphasize there, by the Spirit of God. That circumcision doesn't mean anything. You can be circumcised and still go to hell. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not he physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. What is the outward one now? A circumcised person. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one where inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit. Not in the letter. Whose praise is not from men but from God. I'd like us to read verse 27, uh, 28 and 29. Romans 2, 28 and 29 in the Living Bible and in the Message. So let's take Living Bible first.
1: For you are not real Jews just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the Jewish initiation ceremony of circumcision. No, a real Jew is anyone whose heart is right with God, for God is not looking for those who cut their bodies in actual body circumcision. But he is looking for those, who, those with changed hearts and minds. Whoever has that kind of change in his life will get his praise from God. Even if not from you. Praise the name of the Lord.
0: Now, you, you, in, in, in the King James, we see Paul actually using the word Jew and praise. Jew actually means praise. So he's saying that you are not someone who receives praise from God just because you were circumcised. The person who receives praise from God is one whose heart has been changed. Let's take the message. Let me move from 25. Okay, read from 25.
2: Circumcision, the surgical ritual that makes you as a Jew is great if you look, if you live in accorda- in accordance with God's word. But if you don't, it's worse than not being circumcised. The reverse is also true. The, uns- the uncircumcised will keep God's way as good as circumcised. In fact, better. Better to keep God's law uncircumcised than break it circumcised. Don't you see? It's not the cut of a knife that makes you... That makes a Jew. You become a Jew by who you are. It's the mark of God on your heart, not of a knife on your skin that makes a Jew. And recognition comes from God, not legalistic, critic.
0: Okay. So basically he said, it's not the legalism. It's what has actually happened. Remember when we talked about the rites of passage, we talked about transformation, right? We talked about irreversible Conversion. And we talked about transitioning from the self-life to the selfless life. Transitioning from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and so on and so forth. And we are saying, based on the word of God, that this issue <coughs> of um, baptism as a transition was what identified the Jew. Baptism becomes our own identification mark before God. Not necessarily among ourselves, but before God. As far as God was concerned, the Jews became a people to him, only physically. There really wasn't any relationship he had with them. So he could even send them on exile. Didn't, it hurt him, but it didn't mean much. Because they were, they themselves, were not having anything to do with him. In a similar way. Those of us who are believers. The Bible is saying that. Not circumcision, but baptism. Do you understand? And all of this is about one thing. The action of the human heart. That is your being, your your spirit being. Being controlled only by the Spirit of God. The Bible says, as many as are led by whom? The Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. Anybody, therefore, who chooses to be led by the principles of the world is not the son of God. Even if you have been baptized. That baptism actually comes to check you, put you in church, You are baptized for this purpose. Not to follow the world, but to follow Christ. Is that understood? You are united with Christ in baptism. You and Christ are now one. As a matter of fact, if they want to check your ID card, it is Christ they, they must look at. Christ has become your identity. Do you understand? Every time God comes to look at us, what is he looking for there? Christ. Is Christ in him? Is Christ being formed in him? Do we see the fruit of Christ in him? You remember when we read um, there was a time we were looking at Romans chapter 8 29 that says that those whom, whom he did predestine um, whom he did foreknow he did predestine that they might be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what this whole thing is about. We are been brought to that image of Christ because Christ pleased the Father. The Father takes pleasure in us each time he looks at us and sees Christ. Do you understand that? If he doesn't see Christ, he is he's, he's, he's saddened. Because he, he ought to be formed in us by the Spirit of God, through the agency of the teachings of the Word of God, and our physical prayer on a daily basis to God. Christ ought to have been formed in us. So he looks at us and he sees people who are supposed to have been baptized still living in sin. Let me read it. Easy to read. Romans two twenty eight 28-29. You are not a true Jew if you are only a Jew in your physical body. True circumcision is not only on the outside of the body. So we can say this. You are not a true Christian only because you go to church. Christianity is not about going to Church. It has more to do with what is happening within you than what is happening externally. The life of the believer is actually an internal one, an inner life. Which, if it were being lived as it should be lived internally, it should manifest outwardly. But what we do is, we are, you see the human nature is so deceptive and has, has learned all the tricks that he can actually pose to be a Christian outwardly, when he inwardly is actually a vagabond. And many people have deceived the body of Christ that way. But you know, for whose benefit did I say the identification mark is? Is for God, not for you. So God always knows those people who are his and those who are not his, even though we are all gathered in, in the church, in the church building. In verse 9 it says, a true Jew is one who is a Jew inside. True circumcision is done in the heart. It is done by the Spirit, not by the written law. And anyone who circumcises in the heart by the Spirit gets praise from God, not from people. Do you understand that now? So it is not about what we say, that oh, he's a man of God. Oh, he's a child of God. Oh, No. Who is the one saying it now? It is God. It is God who says, this is my child. You remember when Christ went to his baptism? What happened when the voice came? What, was, what happened when the voice came? He said, This is my, my beloved Son in whom I am well. That is what happens in true baptism. We may no longer be hearing it audibly, but that is what God is saying through baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well. Pleased. And please, who is this seeing? He's saying Christ. Because Christ has been formed. So the doctrine of baptisms is saying to us that baptisms become a, 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 I don't know how to put it, whether a means, an avenue, or a channel by which we are identified as Christ. And Christ becomes our identity. If you ask us for our passports now, the color of the Nigerian passport is What? It's green. If anybody's bringing a blue passport, you know that's not a Nigerian passport. You don't have to open it first. Based on the color of the passport, we know that this is not... So we don't even tolerate the blue first. We just look at the green one first. Of course, the the diplomats have their... There's there's the blue for some diplomats and there's the red for the people who have immunity. Those ones have red as Nigerians. They have red and so so on. But at least... For you and I is green. Praise the name of the Lord. And this is what the, the scriptures tell us. Now, this same thing, somebody might say, Oh, but what are we talking about? is the, the Old Testament. It's not the, it's not the New Testament. That's a different discussion, but I just want to raise an issue here. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, Moses caught the understanding of what God was using circumcision to portray. Which people now sat down with, as though that is the real issue. They did not understand what God was saying, but Moses had said it long ago. In fact, you you will find that in in chapter 10, but I'm only going to read uh, uh, chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, verse 6. It says, And the Lord your God will do what? Circumcise your heart. It's not a man that's circumcising you now. Who is circumcising you? God. Circumcision of Christ, without hands. And the heart of your descendants. To do what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. We've, we've said this over and over again. That the only way to prove that we love God is to do what? To obey his word. So a man who has gone through the Jewish circumcision rites, But is unable to obey God. How does that circumcision benefit him? It does not. Do you understand? So, the man, even though he may not be physically circumcised, yet has gone through the circumcision of Christ, which is the cutting off of the body of sin. That is because that is what stops us from being able to obey God. It is the nature of sin that makes it impossible for us to obey God. So, what did God do? God removed that nature. That makes it difficult for us to obey Him. So that we can obey Him. And so we can love Him. Is that understood? That is what baptisms want to do. They they, they want to portray that to us. That that has taken place. Praise the name of the Lord. In Galatians chapter 6. This point I am trying to make. Is driven home. Galatians chapter 6. From verse 12 to 15.
1: As many
0: as desire to make a good showing in the flesh. He's talking of people who just want to be seen outwardly as being believers. Some people, some of the ministers of of the gospel who want to show that, yes, we have a church of one million. That's an outward showing. This is what they were doing. They wanted to show that, oh, people are coming to Christ. And how are they coming to Christ? They are being circumcised. They're insisting that no, 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 no. You can't say that you are born again when you are not circumcised. You must be circumcised. That's what he's saying there. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, this would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They didn't want other people to persecute them. Do you understand that? Even in, even in the church at the time, certain people were persecuting other believers. That your doctrine is to, your doctrine is not as it should be. Especially the Jews who had become Christians. They insisted on circumcision. And Paul is saying here that these people want to make a showing. They want to tell people that people have been saved. How? Through circumcision. But nobody gets saved by circumcision. Salvation is by faith, a work of grace, through faith. In verse 13 it says For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. That oh see he's one of us. He's not circumcised. He's a Jew. In the early church days some people thought that Christianity was the same thing as Judaism. Under Judaism if you were a Gentile and you wanted to be a Jew you had to be circumcised. Do you understand That way you were admitted as a Jew. But even at that, there were some things you couldn't even do. You couldn't enter certain parts of the temple. You were not permitted to read certain books of the Bible, of the Torah. the, the, The certain portions were not for you. You were still an alien, even though you were circumcised. But under the new covenant, the issue of Judaism has been done away with because Christ has fulfilled everything. So circumcision becomes unnecessary and irrelevant. What is important is whether you are living as God wants you to live. In verse 14, it says, But God forbid that I, that is Paul, or anybody who is a believer, should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world has been crucified to me by the cross, and I have been crucified to the world by the same cross. When Christ died, I died to the world. The world also died to me. Do you understand that? When a man dies, I think I've used this illustration before, but let's look at a man who, is, who was a girl's, a, a lady's man, who was a, a, a man about town, and the man dies. And you lay him down there, and you ask, uh, what do you call them now? His old girlfriends to come naked and walk around him. Will any part of his body get up? He's a dead man. In the same way, when we are dead to sin, there is no temptation that is coming to tempt us. That will succeed. This is the point we're trying to make. If you go to James chapter one, the Bible says in James chapter one, I think it's verse let, let's just read that. We'll come back, we'll come back to Galatians six, but let's briefly go to James chapter one and read from verse thirteen. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by what? His own desires are enticed. Then when desire has conceived, you see what is happening there? Temptation and desire are having intercourse. Do you understand And desire... Has now gotten pregnant. So it says, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. That's how sin is born. And sin, when it is full grown or matured, brings forth what? Death. So what what what, what does the Bible now teach us? It says to us, if we are going to defeat sin, Through temptation, we must do something. What must we do? We must make sure that whatever temptation comes to copulate is non existent or is dead. Do you understand that? Your desire must die. If your desire does not die, temptation will come. Let me give an illustration. Let's assume that I have a desire, I have a longing to become Nigeria's president in whatever year? Will I be interested in politics? I'm asking a question. Will I be interested in politics? Good, okay. If this is how they play the game, so that you can become president, is what they say. Will I play the game that way? Why? Because that's my desire. Do 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 you get the point now? That's what I desire. So I will play the game of politics as they play it. But... What if my desire is about what God wants and not what I want? And they said this is how politics is to be played would it, would it concern me? he said not our business I'm not going to play the way you want it to play to, to be played because my desire is God's desire. this was what Christ did. He said I have no I have no will of my own it is his will that I do." That is why my judgment is always right. Because I'm not judging of my own. I am judging based on what he tells me. Do you get the point now? So let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, rather. Galatians 6, in verse 15. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But what? A new creation. What is. What is the issue as far as Christ is concerned? Is what? You are a new creation. Circumcised or, no, sir, or, or, or not. As far as Christ is concerned, the issue is not whether you are circumcised or not, but are you a new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16, 2 Corinthians 5 verse what does the Bible say? Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the We don't look at people according to the flesh anymore. We don't judge you because you came to church, so you are a believer. Because you say, praise the Lord, you are a believer. Because you can preach from the Bible, you are a believer. No, we don't judge that way anymore. He says, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him does no longer. We want to know him in the spirit. If we were to know Christ in the flesh, how would we relate with him? As a pal, as a guru, as the wisest leader of, our, of, of his time, whose messages are still crucial today. But that's not who he is. He is God. In verse 17, it now says, Therefore, because we are not judging anybody according to the flesh anymore. Do you understand that now? Therefore, if anyone says he is in Christ, if anyone is really in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Understand that word, new creation. Everything about that man is new. His ambitions are new. In fact, he has no ambitions anymore. His ambition is to do the will of God. The will of God is all that is pursuing. That is his pursuit in life. That is his focus in life. All things have passed away. All those ambitions of I want to be president, I want to be this, they are passed away. If God wants to be president, you can still be. But that you had that vision, that ambition, forget it. Before you were born again, throw it away. All those courses you went to study in school before you were born again, it's good that you studied it, but they are passed away. You may not even be an engineer, even though you studied engineering. God might call you and say, I want you to preach the gospel. That's that's, that's so safe for engineering. It's finished. Behold, how many things have become new? All things. All things. From head to toe, everything about you is new. The old relationships of boyfriends that you have can no longer exist. Girlfriends, no way. You are a new creation. The drinking of, you used to drink beer before you got born again, you are still drinking beer. No, you are not. You are not born again. The bouts of anger that we manifested when we were not born again, we cannot be manifesting again now that we are born again. Everything has become new. Everything about us is new. Back to Galatians chapter 3. Again, the Bible is telling us about who we are in Christ. Our identity. Galatians three twenty-seven to 29. 27 to 29 for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, what have you done? You have put on Christ. So when we look at somebody who has been baptized into Christ, what do we see? We see Christ. Because that's what he has put on. So if you look at his ID card, what will you see on his ID card? Christ. You see Abraham, Ramon, they like Christ. David, cookie, Christ. Do you understand you will see Christ. That is his identification. The import of this statement, therefore, is you can no longer engage in the practices of your ancestors. Do you understand that? Many of us are born. Bu- that is why many of us go for deliverance every day. We are born again. We are saved. Then we now carry our bags and our bodies and go for village meeting where they are pouring libation. And we are busy saying it's here, Saying it's here. And they said they want to give um, them, they we need to perform a, a, a rite for our ancestor. You know, and the, your donation is this. You give them. You didn't go, but you gave them. And they went and did it. Then the thing is coming to trouble you. You now say, you are trying to have another identity when your identity is already Christ. That's why we said, all things are passed away. All things have become. You are brand new. You You belong to a new family. That family is the church. And God is the head of that family. Christ is our eldest brother. And every other person there is a brother or a sister. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We don't, we don't have that kind of discrimination or segregation in the body of Christ. There's no difference. We are all believers. We are all Christians. That's why most times you find in the Bible that they use the word man. It, it covers, it's generic. It covers both male and female. Let's not get into the world that are trying to Feminize everything and say, well, they should say woman or she or he. no, it doesn't matter. In the scriptures, it is man. If any man be in Christ, does it include women? I'm asking a question, does it include women? Exactly. Verse 29 And if you are Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He was making a, a, a passionate uh, statement here. He had told them before that Abraham, the promise that God made to Abraham, which was 430 years before the law, the law that came afterwards could not have destroyed that, that promise. That promise holds sway. So whatever God promised Abraham, we haven't been in Christ part of that promise. The law did not cancel it. Some of those things were mainly brought into the law because these people belonged to Abraham. But now we belong to Abraham apart from the law. Do you understand that? So we say Abraham's blessings are mine. What are we saying? We are saying that we are, Abraham's blessings are ours because of Christ. Christ came through Abraham and we are of Christ. So because Christ came to Abraham and we are of Christ, what happens? Every promise that God made to Abraham, He also made to us. And all this because of baptism. Now, I know that a lot of times we say, this baptism is by faith and other things. But there are some, there are some times when the mark of baptism is actually on your body. Galatians chapter 6 verse 17. After Paul had written all that, the, 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 the second to the last verse. Let's read together. One, two, go. From now on, no no body should disturb me with uh, whether it's circumcision or not circumcision. are, Are you talking of a mark? Let me show you my mark. My mark is not circumcision. My mark is what? The marks of Christ. The beatings. You want to show mark? Please show me your beatings. That's what Paul is saying. Don't trouble me any longer. You are talking of mark. It's not circumcision. Come and see my body. You will see the mark of Christ. It's the same thing with us. Anybody who wants to show off that he has a mark of Christ. They say the mark of the apostle was in me because I wrote great miracles. We'd like to see the beatings. If you have, because the Bible says that if we suffer with him, what will happen? So let's use the corollary. If we do not suffer with him, we cannot reign with him. So all the noise-making of I did miracles or did not do miracles, Would like to see the sufferings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we've read this some time back, but I'm just going to take a a brief portion 23 to 25. This is Paul writing Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Why speak as a fool? Because he's about to boast. He says, I'm not supposed to boast. But let me speak, as say, because these people—that's all they do. So let me just prove one or two things. But you will now discover that when he's now talking, his boasting is different. He's not even boasting the way they are boasting. They were boasting about, oh, I've got 25 people circumcised. He said, "Let me show you the marks. Let me show you my boastings." He said, "I am more in labors, more abundant; in stripes, more. above measures; in prisons." More frequently, in death of many times they have killed me. It's God that just raised me back up. Not that He died out of fear. They killed Him. It's just God that said, "Your time is not over. Come." Remember one time I can't remember where, where it was that He went to. They took Him outside and stoned Him and left Him for dead. Then the disciples came and circled around Him, and then He got up and dusted His body and re-entered that same city. Paul. So we was saying, all of you are busy making noise that you are preaching. Let me show you the marks. You say you are boasting. Let me boast. Only for us to discover that what he's even boasting about, they cannot even boast about it. In verse 24 it says, For the Jews, from the Jews, five times, how many times? I received 40 stripes minus one. He was beaten 195 times. In total. Five separate times. Thirty-nine strokes from the Jews, his own people. What do we have here? They say one small thing. Yeah, they're talking to me? I'm not doing this again. Is it because I gave my life to Christ? No more. I, in fact, from now on, I'm going to. The, please, where's the next party? I'm going to. I'm going to a party. I'm going to. I'm not doing again. Where's your suffering for Christ? So the moment the first stripe landed, bam! Say, hey, in fact, it's enough. I renounced Jesus Christ. That's what I didn't know it's like this. Forget it. No more, I'm not doing it again. Paul was saying hereby through the baptism of suffering. I have the marks to show. In verse 25, what did he say? He said, Three times I was beaten with what? Rods. Not no, not Koboko. This one is rods, iron. Not a stick, iron, metal. How many times, please? Three times. Once I was stoned. That's that one that we mentioned. In, in Pisidian Antioch. That region of Galatia. Where they stoned him and left him for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. And then you say you're, you say you're an apostle. These days I'm amazed. I see small boys. The church they started is not even anything, anywhere. Apostle. What's going on? Why do we have a penchant for titles? Apostle. Let, let us see the mark of the apostle. They have not even read any miracle, but they are apostles. Because they say they are founders of the church. So that makes them apostles. Where they get these things, I don't understand. This is the true mark of an apostle. If you go further and read in verse 26, it says, In Johnny's. He's talking of his sufferings now. He, when he talks, talks of, he's talking of perils now, dangers he has experienced. When he talks of dangers in John, he said many times. We talk of dangers of, in water many times. In, among robbers many times. Of my own countrymen, many times. Of the Gentiles many times. In the city many times. In the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren. Many times I've been in danger of these people. Today, we believe that once we're in an aircraft, the aircraft will not even shake. Because we are there, the aircraft will be steady. That may be so, but what if if it's not so? So you will not fly again. We fly. We take the gospel to where we should take it to. And make sure that people are reached with the word of God. Your identification mark, I said earlier, it is not necessarily for your own benefit. It is how God identifies his own. In 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 19 to 22. 2 Timothy 2. 19 to 22. Nevertheless. The solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal: The Lord knows those who are. His. So through baptism. What does God do? He puts a mark of identity on you. In the physical sense, it looks like an ordinary thing. But in the spiritual realm, God has marked him and said, this is my own. And what else is the seal of God? Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from Unlike circumcision, where you can be circumcised and do whatever you like. In baptism, you cannot. When you have been marked through baptism, you must now live that life of Christ. In verse 20 says, But in the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honor and some for dishonor. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that is from sin, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So yes, you have been baptized. But we now live that life. We make sure that we are cleansing ourselves. In verse 22 it says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure... God has marked you. And there's a reason why God marks. And we are going to begin to look at that now. Our identification mark that God has put there through baptism. In Ezekiel chapter 9. Then he called out. From verse 1 now. Then he called out in my hearing. With a loud voice saying. Let those who have charge over the city draw near. Each with a deadly weapon in his hand. This is talking about angels who were sitting over the cities. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate with faces north, each with his battle axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen, and had a writer's ink horn at his side. They went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub, where it had been, to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen, who had the writer's ink horn at his side. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. Have you seen it there? God began to mark certain people. These were people who were so concerned for the iniquity taking place in the city. He said, Put a mark on them. On their foreheads. To the others, he said in my hearing, Go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eye spare, nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children, and women. But do not come near anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. Have you seen in the Bible? Through baptism, we are marked. So that when disaster is coming, that mark is there. The day judgment is going to fall. All those who have the mark are the ones that that disaster will not touch. In that church. Or even in the world. In Revelation chapter, we'll now go to the Revelation. Revelation chapter 7. From verse 1 to verse 4. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four wings of the earth. That the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. He cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their four heads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. One hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. You read later, you see the tribes. Twelve thousand from each tribe. And twelve tribes. I think one or two tribes were missing. And these ones entered into heaven maimed. They were sealed because of their testimony of Christ. This was after The the greater tribulation had taken place. These ones were sealed. Now if we go to chapter 9 of the same revelations. Again, verse 1 to 4. We'll read another portion here. It says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. These were locusts but they had power like a scorpion. They could sting. But they were like locusts. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing. You know that this is not ordinary locusts because locusts, they eat grass. They eat green things. Or any tree. But only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads? When God passes judgment, He separates His own. All those who have His mark, who have this seal upon them, that they are God's own, who have this seal, that they have refused to follow the iniquitous ways of the world, they will be rescued. They will be preserved. It was what happened, like, like what happened in, 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 in Egypt during the Exodus. God said to Moses, "Tell every household to pick a lamb according to the size. If, they are, if, the, if the lamb is too big for a small family, let them join together two homes and then let them cut the, the let them kill the lamb and put the blood on the lamp post, on the, on, the, on the post and the lintel of their homes. When I see that blood, I will pass on." That was the mark that Israel had in Egypt, and they were passed over. For us, through baptisms, we have this mark. We have the mark of Christ on us. Either through suffering which they see the mark of Christ. They see the humility, which is a mark. There was a book that was written, I think, I can't remember who wrote it, who said that. One thing that angels respect, that angels will stand up for when they see a Christian, is a humble Christian. When they see a humble Christian, they will stand because they've seen Christ come. That is the mark of Christ, humility. So when you see proud and arrogant people, you have, you have not, not seen the mark of Christ yet. That's why we need to be very careful. Now, not only do believers have a mark, even Satan copying what God is doing, also marks his own people. Let's look at it from Revelation 13, from 11 to 17. Then there's another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. You can imagine the confusion that Satan always says. He wants to be like a lamb, but he's speaking like a dragon. emitting fire. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Whose deadly wound was healed? That's the Antichrist. This is the prophet of the Antichrist. The prophet of Satan who is now getting people to worship the Antichrist. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Would you not follow such a man? And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. That's why the mark on the body is the the suffering of Christ. Our suffering of Christ is the mark no demon will agree to suffer. It's not possible. We don't mind the miracles, but we will not suffer. They don't understand. Those people don't, don't want sac- There's not like sacrifice as far as they're concerned. There's no sacrifice for them. Everything must be rosy. And that's where the church seems to be going now. Verse 15. He was granted power. Who granted him this power? God allowed it. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak And cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Can you imagine a statue speaking? Who will doubt that that power is not, we will not say that that power is from God, but God allowed it so that those who want to be deceived will be deceived. And the Bible says, he deceived with that power. In verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the name of his number or the number of his name. Have you seen the problem we're having now? So when a Christian is justifying paying bribe because he cannot get something if he doesn't pay bribe, what will happen when the time for the mark comes Because you can't do business. All of us who like to do business. You can't do business during the Antichrist without the mark. You must have the mark, otherwise nobody will buy from you, nobody will sell to you. The economy of the world at that time will revolve around the Antichrist. We are telling you as believers now, to take on the mark of Christ, and to have your economy revolve around Christ. You say no, you want to do business the way the world is doing business. You refuse the mark of Christ, you claim to be baptized, but we don't see the mark we don't see your suffering. We don't, see, we, we, don't, we don't even see the power of the Spirit of God in your life. Yet, you say, a child of God. When it comes to the time of taking this mark, such people will run and take that mark. I cannot understand why a Christian cannot today say, I'm not doing this business, no matter what. But no, we do all kinds of business and we justify it. Christians even prostitute their bodies and say it's business. After all, I'm paying time. You and your type perish. Let me show you the, the end of these people. Revelation 20 verse 4 to 6 And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Talking of the people who had the mark of God on them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image. Do you see? People refused to worship. And what did they do? They cut their heads. Today we, we, we make it sound as if, oh, they say, I'm not praying that they would behead anybody. But if you find yourself in that place, please do not renounce Christ. Let It's better they behead you and you get to heaven and you have head. Than you, you have a head and go to hell. Who have not worshipped the beast or his image. And have not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for how long? A thousand years. Can you imagine what you are forfeiting? By seeking to do business the way of the world. A thousand years on the, on the same planet. Before it is changed. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. They were not there. All those who died without Christ, even though they went to church and as soon as they died, we had posters, we sang songs, we said, Oh, what a great brother this brother is. Oh, what a wonderful sister this sister is. We were the ones giving the accolades, we were the ones giving praise. Yet, God did not mark that person. So at the first resurrection, he didn't resurrect. You will try and say, where is his brother? Where is his brother? God forbid you will all be there in Jesus' name. Because not only will you have the mark, you will live as God wants you to live. In verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. I think I've discussed this with you before. Those of us who have the seal of God on us for a thousand years, we will still come back, even if we die. We will resurrect. That first resurrection, we will taste of it. Christ is our identity. And I am proud to be identified with Christ. Yeah. There are some things that's happening today. We are going to see some of those things later. Where Christ had warned. We are going to see it later as we do the conclusion. You will see that the reason why you are being attacked ferociously by Satan. Is because of your identity. When they look at you and see Christ. They say, ah, mark. Put a mark on him. Let's attack him. Let's finish him. But because you have the mark of Christ and your desire is the desire of Christ, he cannot even drag you out of that. You say to him, is it to behead? Behead. Is it to beat? Beat. Is it to kill? Kill. Is it to delay? Delay. But today, not, not many Christians are not ready to wait. We come up with all manners of schemes to get around things. Acts chapter 19 11 to 17 You see another wonderful thing that the mark the identity of Christ does on the believer. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. That's not it. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. That's not it. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, these were Jews, But they were exorcists. Took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, we are getting there. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. Now, look at what happens in verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? When a demon looks at you, they must see the mark. Otherwise, they will beat you. I went to a deliverance. I went and saw a deliverance meeting once. I don't know what happened to the fellow. He was ministering with another man of God. People were being delivered this other fellow, when the demon handled him, he, he almost removed his uh, pants, tore his trousers. This is a man of God. What happened? He tore him. He was there, he wanted to beat him mercilessly. I have heard of situations where they are doing deliverance and the man goes, hey, come on. I say, come on. Who are you? Show yourself. I say, yes, I am I'm the one that you slept with yesterday. The man will keep quiet. Yeah, they know who is, who is Christ. They know who is not Christ. And they don't joke with those who are Christ. They say, now he's going to sleep. This is going to attack him. Let's attack him while he's sleeping. Only to come and see that he's guarded. Because of the mark. The mark does not stop you from being persecuted. But it preserves you when it is necessary. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they must have had that mark. Because when they told them to bow, they said, we are not bowing. They burned the fire, they said, we are not bowing. They heated it more times said, we are still not bowing. You can throw us inside. What was their desire? Their desire was God's desire. They had no desire for life. The people were taking them into the furnace. The Bible says the fire consumed them. So, my own, my own way of looking at it is that they must have walked in, because if the person taking you in has been consumed with fire. You are the only one who can walk into it. They walked in. And not only were they walking, they were walking around the fire. Ah! And I wonder what's going on here? The ropes that they used in tying them was loose. Nebuchadnezzar looked at the fire and said, wait a minute. How many people did we put in there? Were well, you not know, three? But I've seen four. And the fourth one is looking like the son of God. God opened his eyes to seek pre-incarnate Christ. Come on, come on, come on. The one on whom the fire has no power. We. Once they said fire. Fire. Ah, I'm not born again. No, 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 no. no. We just normally use that. There's one cartoon that somebody sent to my WhatsApp. Of a pastor who was preaching. Say I'm a liar. I'm a liar. Say I'm a liar. Say I'm a liar. liar. say, Say I'm a liar. Say I'm a liar. Then suddenly a lion appeared. I said, now nah, who detoxing talk the lion there? The congregation pointed to the pastor. The pastor began to shake. I said, no, you, you know, I just like to use animal as example. <laughs> Last week, for example, I said I'm a snake. Am I a snake? In fact, next week I'm planning to use coffee or not. Go to
3: That
0: is the believers that we have today. May God have mercy on us. He said, Paul, I, he said, Paul, I know. Who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was lived on, was lived on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It will attack it, but it will not prevail. This man was able to prevail against them. Why? They didn't have the mark. They were none of God's. They will attack you, don't get any jazz about that, but they will not be able to prevail. Amen. That is what baptism of, of suffering is all about. That the suffering is coming in torrents, but you stand above the fray. Yeah. As Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego were in that fire, dancing in the fire, when they should have said, Yeah, oh, oh. when they came out of the fire, they said they couldn't smell anything burning, even the hair. I remember one story, don't know whether it's a joke or whether it was true, but they made a fun of one uh, imam, they said uh, the imam, if the mosque caught fire, they normally say it in Yoruba language, they say, the mosque caught fire, and then when they told somebody at the mosque caught fire, they said, oh, what of that uh, imam, did, I hope the fire, did, the fire spread is there there, what do you think the fire will catch first? But Bed- on go, what happened to the hair? Nothing. They smelled their coat. It was as if they were not in fire. The only thing that proved that they were in fire was the thing they used in tying them was cut loose by the fire. When the back of Christ, as your identity, is upon you, you will prevail. It doesn't matter what attack comes to you, you will prevail. You must have that confidence. There's so much. What's the word I'm looking for? Lack of confidence in the church. The only people who seem to manifest this confidence are people who are doing crooked things. And their confidence is in that crooked thing that they are doing. My prayer is that God will will, will defeat every confidence that they are holding on to, apart from Christ. In verse 17 it says, This became known both to all Jews and Greeks, dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Yeah. That's what should happen when they see that as a result of having the mark of Christ, as a result of having the identity of Christ upon you, that nothing happened to you when this disaster came. That, that the disaster, disaster came upon you, and then suddenly you, you just lose your... Hey, oh, ha. Ooh, you begin to make noise. You want the whole world to know that you are going through something. Doesn't mean anything. It just shows that you are still an unbeliever. We can go through challenges of life, but if we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and the building up of, of Christ, we will withstand every such attack in Jesus' name. Amen. Finally, in Mark chapter 16, 15 to 18. Mark 16, 15 to 18. This is what the Lord Jesus said about the mark, the identification of people who receive his baptism. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. You believe and you are baptized, you are saved. What he's saying is that once you you believe, which means you are born again, the next thing naturally should be that you are baptized. If while you are going through the process of baptism, you die, no problem. You wanted to be baptized. But if you say you believe and you blatantly refuse baptism, then you are like the man who did not believe. In verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. Let's look at the mark, the identification of these people. In my name, what will happen? They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Is this our testimony? Can we say this is our testimony? Don't forget that one of the things that the Lord said in Matthew chapter 7, if some people that they, they will come and say that, but we cast out demons in right. your name. But The reason why he told them, get away from me, was because they were doing it not by instruction. They were doing it to please themselves. They wanted the world to come to their church. They wanted the world to know that, yes, they can cast out demons, they can do this. It was not because of Christ. They did what was not authorized. And that was their problem. But for the believer, this is his identity. His identity is in Christ and all that Christ is. He has no business toying around with the world. He he was circumcised from the world. Or the world rather, the, 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 the body of sin was circumcised from his life. He has no business with the world. He has no business with desires that are not from God anymore. He is dead to his desires. Let's conclude. Through baptisms, we identify with and become a part of the suffering, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And as such, we can be said to bear the identification mark of Christ, which can be both spiritual and physical, as in scars of wounds resulting from beatings, persecution for Christ's sake. Unlike circumcision, which was physical, and the mark of the old covenant, Baptisms are spiritual and the mark of the new covenant. Indeed, through baptisms, we are united with Christ and thus identify ourselves as belonging to him, not just as partners or merely as partakers with him, but as being part of him. When you say you are partnering with somebody, what does that mean? You are still an individual. The other person is still an individual. You can can remove that partnership, right? But when you are part of something, you are part of it. You are not a partner. You are a part of it. If they tear you out, they tear the other person out. We are not just partakers. We are a part of it. If, look at my body now. If If I want to drink a bottle of Coke with a straw, which part drinks it? But do you know that my muscles are involved in that suction action. Where does the satisfaction go to? Every part of the body. The part body that the part that needs sugar gets the sugar. The part that needs the quenching of thirst gets the quenching of thirst. The whole body rejoices in that thing. So the body is not just an external being partaking of that food. It is actually a part of the partaking. Do you understand? So whatever Christ has partaken of, we are a part of it. We may not have physically sucked the coke, but we derived pleasure from that coke. We may not have physically been involved in the suffering of Christ, but we are not ashamed of the suffering of Christ. We are not going to say no if it comes to suffering for Christ. Do you understand that? Thus, through baptisms, we are brought into union with Christ, who thus becomes every Christian's identity manifesting in the believer's lifestyle of Christ likeness. It is not enough to say I'm baptized. We are going to discuss that, I believe, next week by the grace of God. It's not enough to say I'm baptized. We want to see it manifesting. Remember what John the Baptist told who to his baptism. He said, please can we have meat uh, 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 what's it Fruit, meat for repentance. Let's see it. Don't just come to baptism. Let's see you after the baptism doing the works that you should do. Not only do we identify ourselves with and in Christ through baptisms, but Him being our identity, we are marked, sealed or identified by God to be His very own special people. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people or a special people of God. Who have been called out of darkness into his light to show forth the praises of him who has thus called us. And we are thus preserved as a result of this marking of God from the evil that is to befall the world and its inhabitants on the day of judgment. Incidentally, Satan also marks his own with a physical mark. And this can similarly be identified by their lifestyle, which is generally sin-laden, worldly, and tolerant of sin. When you find people who are tolerant of sin, you have found people who have the mark of Satan. Sadly, all those who bear the mark of Satan will perish in eternity, though they may have pleasures or be temporarily here on earth. The good news, though, is that if anyone... Who is in Satan's camp turns to God in genuine repentance, and I'm saying this very seriously this evening. Let us remove the camouflage, because many of us like to we, we just I don't know I don't know you can't fool the pastor. You can only fool yourself. Let's remove the camouflage. Let's be sincere. If you are still in Satan's camp, still doing things according to the world, still being tolerant of sin, still being loaded with sin, you need to get born again. That's the reality. Let's leave at all this, I'm going to church, I'm going to church, what does it mean? If heaven was not with you honestly think that this is what I'll be doing? I remember going to preach to somebody, I was even teaching him, one day the boy asked me, why are you doing what you are doing? And I was wondering, how does he expect me to answer this question? I said, I'm doing it because I look at somebody who will be perishing if he doesn't receive this teaching. He said, is that the only reason? I said, that's the reason. He lost interest. He was looking at somebody who would come and change his life for him. I'll come and buy him clothes. I'll buy him shoes. I'll give him employment. That's what he was expecting. No, that's not the reason. So if all your reasons you are here for is so that you can get more money, get a better job, I think you should pack your bag and go. That's not the reason why we're here. We are here to understand the word of God. The very word of God. And know how to live that life in a practical sense. So that we can become useful in the kingdom of God to win other souls into Christ. That is the reason why we are doing what we are doing. So if you believe that you want to take the mark of Satan and you want to continue to do business with Satan, please by all means go ahead. But if you have been doing that and you say there is something wrong with what I have been doing, and you are sincere in your heart. And you want to turn to God. This is your the opportunity. They will wait here. You come out. To your, I'm not making any other call. You come out on your own. And I'll pray with you. Because. The time is going to come. When what you are hearing. You will not be able to hear again. This is your opportunity. Don't lose it. So there's anyone who is in Satan's camp. And you make up your mind. To turn to God. In general repentance. He or she is forgiven of his or her sins. And marked. As belonging to and united with Christ instantly. Baptisms will now become what we will now do as a demonstration to show you what happened to you this instant. Don't care whether they call you pastor where you walk. Whether they say that you are the the new uh, guru Maharaja of, of Christianity. Wherever. If you are not born again, better come out here today. A, if they are backsliding, better come out here and such a suffer. So that you will never backslide again. And understand what it is all about. Furthermore, Satan recognizes the mark or seal of God upon God's own people and marks them out for special attacks, which will fail through Christ our identity. What Satan is attacking is Christ in you. And Christ in you is your hope of glory. That's what Colossians 1.27 tells us. In John 15.19, let's read that. Let's read uh, John 15.19. And then we'll read um, 1 Peter. Chapter 4. Verse 12 to 16. But John 15.19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Is the world falling in love with you? Does the world applaud you? Are you looking for the praise of the world? You say, oh, that's a wonderful man. It it means you are of the world. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, what happens? The world hates you. The world hates you. Not because you did anything wrong. Personally. Do you know the wrong thing you did? You are wearing the image of Christ. That's all. You are wearing the identity of Christ. That's why the world hates you. So stop thinking that there's something special about yourself. No. It's about Christ. That's why the world is attacking you. The day you renounce Christ, the world will stop attacking you. The day you stop following Christ, the world will stop attacking you. I'm telling you the truth. If the world begins to pour into this place, we need to be very careful. What the world start pouring in? They won't change. They will come the way they are. They won't change. They will remain that way. We have to check what we are doing in the pulpit. They must change. Cannot continue that way. And if they want to continue that way and see that the pulpit is not changing, what will happen? They will go. They can't sit there. But for the world to be comfortable in a meeting, we are doing something wrong. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through to 16. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Is that in the Bible? Is that in your own Bible? Because that's what I'm reading here. What is, what is making you blessed now? Because you are being reproached for the name of Christ. For the spirit of glory and of God does what? Rest upon you. It is that spirit that says that is what they are seeing and they are attacking you. That's why you are being reproached. Because you are Christ. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. They are blaspheming Christ. In blaspheming you, who are they blaspheming? Christ. In attacking you, are they blaspheming? Christ. But on your part, what is happening? He is being glorified. Even that suffering that you are going through. Even that shame that is making people wonder, are you the only one that is going through this thing? It is glorifying Christ. So don't change. Don't allow people to convince you that in serving Christ, that you are bringing shame to the name of Christ. You are not bringing shame to his name. You are bringing glory. As you suffer for him. In verse 15 it says. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. A thief. An evildoer. Or as a busybody in other people's matters. Let's stop going through some strange things. And say that we are suffering for Christ. You have been living in fornication. You are going through some, 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 some challenges. You say. Why, 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 why am I going through these challenges? You don't know. Are you going to tell them that you don't know why, why you are going through those challenges? That it is because of your iniquitous living? It is not because you are a Christian. No. You are suffering as a thief. You are suffering as an idolater. You are suffering as an adulterer. You are not suffering as, for, for, for Christ. Somebody has been disturbing him by SMS. Oh, forgive me. Oh, this, oh, that. He doesn't want to change. But he wants me to to help him. But he doesn't want to change. And so, I'm being stigmatized. Stigmatized? Who's stigmatizing you? Are you doing what is wrong or doing what is right? And they stigmatize you. If they stigmatize you for doing what is right, rejoice. But they are not being stigmatized. They are saying what you are doing is wrong and telling you this is the name we call such people. The Bible says, that the want, the desire of a lazy man is like that of an armed robber. An armed robber forces things out of your hand. A lazy man always wants to force things out of people's hands. And when they don't give him, he gets angry. And starts getting abusive and insulted. Don't suffer. If you suffer for that, you're not, you're not you're, that is not the mark of Christ. They are not suffering for Christ. Verse 16. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Brethren, there is nothing wrong in suffering for Christ. Indeed, it is the ultimate mark of a Christian. If that seal of suffering is not yet on you, you haven't begun. That is the truth. That was why Paul, when challenging those people who were busy making noise, said From now on, let no one disturb me. Let me remove my shirt. You will see the mark of Christ on my death. How many of us have the mark of Christ? Look at verse 17. It says, for the time has come for judgment to begin where? At the house of God. Remember in Ezekiel, when judgment was going to begin, where did they start? In the temple, in the sanctuary. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Unless we have it in our hearts, a desire for the salvation of souls. That's how we are going to sit down preaching and do nothing about preaching the gospel. We will go to, we will go, go, and labor every day. We will see people who need the gospel we will not preach to them. Because that, that, that desire is not there. But when the desire of God is in your heart, each time you look at people, you are looking at people and say, and this one is perishing. Even if you can't preach to that person, you begin to pray for them. As I travel by air, I find myself praying, Lord, this is a wonderful opportunity. All these people, I can now pray for them. Inside this one aircraft, let me start praying for them. It's a wonderful opportunity for me. But many of us enter into aircraft, Father, because I am here, let this plane not crash. That's all. And if it crashes forever, Lord, just keep me. What kind of prayer is that? What have said that? Paul was traveling with so many people on the ship. I don't know how he prayed, but the, the angel of God came and told him, "For your sake, no life will be lost. Properties will be lost, but for your sake, no life will be lost. As long as they remain on board." That's a wonderful testament. He must have been praying a prayer that made them give him that guarantee that no life. He must have been praying for those lives. Unbelievers and the people who put him in chains. So much so that after the shipwreck, they, they didn't put Paul in chains again. When the soldiers wanted to come and kill him, the captain said, no, 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 no. Because they wanted, to, they wanted to kill all the slaves since the ship was going to be wrecked. Brethren, let's take our Christian work with God, seriously. Let's stop all this foolishness that we are doing, wanting to be like every other person. And there's no, there's no blessing from it. Therefore, through baptisms, God identifies us as does Satan, as belonging to, and being united together with Christ. It is this identification that marks us out for divine protection and preservation, as well as for the onslaughts of Satan's persecution. It is expected that regardless of the onslaught of Satan, all those who have Christ as their identity will live as Christ lived. Beloved, one of the things that challenges me Is after going through all these writings, all the studies, all this documentation and presentation, that the people who should be receiving it disdain it. Now that's me as a human being. Can you imagine God who is giving that word? And the listeners are disdaining the word of God. It appears we don't understand many things about God. And I'm trusting the Almighty God. That as we are discussing this matter of baptism. That we are going to shape up. And get ourselves to the place. Where indeed we can stand with confidence. How can somebody tell you. That people are doing you in your father's house. If indeed you have the mark of Christ. Why would anybody tell you that and you believe it. Then maybe you don't have the mark of Christ on that. How can anybody wake up in the morning and be telling you I'm prophesying into your life? You're going to be a great man. Who are you to prophesy that kind of thing to my life? You think God does not know what he's going to tell me? Your prophecy doesn't count if God has not first told you. Do you understand? If God has not first told me anything and you say it to me, what you have said, I put it in one corner. I'm not going to jump on it until I hear from God. That's the reality. You are not going to be the first person to tell me what God wants to tell me. It's, are you saying to me that God cannot tell me something? I can understand if I didn't understand what God said. And what you are saying is bringing clarification. That I can understand. But that you are the one initiating a conversation that God is saying to me. Every one of us must get ourselves to the place where we and God individually make first discussion contact. When God has spoken to you and you come to church and you are hearing the message, the message is blowing up what God told you in a short sentence. Okay, and what Lord was saying, this is what God was saying to you yesterday. That is what it should be. But that you come here just because you want to hear me say something and then you say, ah, they didn't say, didn't say the thing I wanted to hear. You need to go somewhere else. What we are doing here to teach the word of God. Once in a while, we we'll take a break from a structured teaching like this. We give an opportunity for discussions like you had last week. And we had two Sundays ago. We discuss. We have questions that's uh, bothering us and things like that. That's also the production of the cell churches. You go there, you discuss issues. Things that are pertinent in your heart. And use the word of God to correct wrong notions. But for us to live casually, Sunday to Sunday, Monday through Sunday, Monday through Sunday, and just think that well, any anyhow, anyhow is anyhow. No, 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 no. That is not what we are about. I was speaking to a young man today. I asked him why are you not in church. He said to me, I didn't feel like going. So I said, Oh no, 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 no. You don't understand. You don't understand what I'm saying. I said, are you born again? He said, yes. I said, what makes you say that you are born again? He said, I've answered altar calls, man. I said, no, 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 it's not the altar call. Tell me, what do you understand by being born again? Do you know what it means? He said, doesn't I said, let me explain to you. And I began to explain to him the matter of sin. I said, it is your nature. I asked him, I said, did you go to school to learn how to tell lies? He said, no. But you can lie proficiently. Yes. It's your nature. It's your nature to lie. It's your nature to cheat. It's your nature to deceive. It's your nature to steal. It's your nature to commit fornication and adultery. And all this is your nature. Now because of that attitude, God, as much as God made you and God wants a fellowship with you, he cannot come near you. What is on you is the wrath of God. Not the love of God. So what did God do? The God had gathered in heaven and said we need to deal with this matter. We need to free man from this bondage to sin. And so Jesus Christ came and died for for the sins of mankind. Now, as long as we attach ourselves by faith to the death of Christ, we are free from the sin that held us captive. That's number one. Number two, we now have the power to fight against sin for the future. And number three, this is where the church now comes in. Because now you're a baby, you go to church to learn how to relate with God. Not how to make money. That's how to become great. The first part of all is your relationship with God. It is in your relationship with God that God can choose you to be for wealth, for greatness, or for whatever. Or for suffering. Whatever. It is God's choice. That you come to church, and we teach you how to live, how to relate with God, so that henceforth, you begin to relate with God on a daily basis, personally, As I'm talking to you, now that's how you should be talking to God. Prayer is not petition always. Prayer is communication, talking to God. Saying one thing to God. That I, I told him, look at babies. Look at that young fellow who's and you know, shouting there. We're happy that he's shouting by disturbing us. But we're, we're happy all the same. We still manage it. It's the parents that we are going to flock for, allowing him to make that kind of noise. Praise the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Ah, so let me cheat that one in quickly. But we're happy. The day he says, Daddy, Papa, Papa, oh, we'll celebrate. He's talking, he's talking. That's the same thing. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, heaven is rejoicing. He's talking our language. He's speaking our language. Right now, he's speaking the baby language. Nyang, nyang, making no problem. But he's talking. Can you imagine if he doesn't talk till he's age four? We'll be worried. We'll start going to hospital all over the place. But he's disturbing us. But we're happy that he's disturbing us. Do you understand what we're saying here now? Good. So, th- that is the point. We must understand how God wants to relate with us. We must stop behaving like Children of wrath. The sons of perdition. Who have chosen wrath over mercy. How can you choose to walk contrary to God? When you have every opportunity to walk with God. And you still come to church and sit down. I remember those days of the radio broadcast. Somebody called me after one of those broadcasts. I said, sir, eh, can you pray for me? And I'm, I'm, I'm looking for job. I said, uh-huh. Ah. So... Are you born again? He said, no. Do you go to any church? No. I said, wait a minute. And you want me to pray for you to get a job? You you refuse the offer of salvation from this God. But you want this same God to give you a job. I said, my brother, I think you you are getting your priorities wrong. What you should be doing is asking God for forgiveness for your sinfulness. It is all these rubbish that we are doing in our churches. Where are we telling people to come and receive one thing or the other? That's what is causing all this rubbish that we are going through. That's why people are behaving and misbehaving. That shouldn't be the case. That should never be the case. <coughs> Brethren, I want to challenge you. Listen, the reason why we are hearing what we are hearing is to be challenged. And my question to you is, what identity mark is on you? Is it a mark of God or the mark of Satan? What lifestyle are you living? Is it the lifestyle of Christ or the lifestyle of Satan? When you come to church, for what purpose have you come? To meet with God or to meet with Satan? To do your own bidding or to do the bidding of God? To satisfy yourself or to satisfy Christ? Why are you here? What mark is on you? When heaven looks down, what do they see in this church? Do they see people who have the mark of Christ? Or do they see people who have the mark of Satan? Because you either have one of those marks. What mark do you have? Let's pray. If you are not sure of your salvation, if fear is still in you, the fear of hell is still in you. If you are still living a life of sin, you better come here so that we can pray together. We come to the front, we'll pray together, the rest of us be talking to God as it affects your life. This kind of message that you are hearing now, let it not be said tomorrow. That ah, and the brother was in church and he didn't confess. The sister was in church and she didn't confess. May God not, may may that not happen. Talk Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. What mark is on you? When demons come, can they say, Ah, I see the mark of Jesus on this fellow. Or do they say, Ah, this is our mark. This is our path. This is our, our mark." Are you a friend of Satan? Or does he consider you an enemy? Is Satan threatened by your waking up every morning, or does he ignore your waking up every morning? Talk to the Lord, brethren. What is the value of your baptism if it does not manifest in Christ? Showing up in you. If it does not manifest as you putting on Christ. As many as have been baptized into Christ. Have put on Christ. When heaven looks down. Do they see Christ? Or do they see the old man. Still living out his his life. If God were to call upon his army today to go from house to house, from town to town, from place to place, street to street, cutting down men and women. Will they say, concerning you, the mark of God is on this one, leave him alone. Or will they see the mark of Satan on you and cut you down? Baptism show us our true identity in Christ. We we no longer have an identity of our own. We take on the identity of Christ. Doctrine of Baptism speaks to us about the identification mark of God upon us. It's not enough to claim that you have the identification mark of God upon you. Bible also goes on to say, let him that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let it manifest in your lifestyle. This mark of transformation, this identification mark, let it manifest in the experience of living out that life. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Talk to the Lord, brethren.
2: Father,
3: we have confidence by the blood of Jesus Christ to come into the place where you are. We come into the place. Where you are. By a new and living way. We enter through the curtains. We come into the place. Where you are. We come into the place. Where you are. Brethren, we must have
0: that confidence. That we are God's. We are God's property. That we can knock on the door. And have access into the throne room. We can go into the presence of God. To obtain mercy in time of need. We must have that confidence in Christ. That relationship that we ought to have. In God. Brethren. Talk to God for yourself. It is good to have the theology. Of baptisms, But can we also have. The practicality of it. In our daily lives. Can we show it for. Father we want to thank you. For that which has spoken I spoke
3: hear We bless your name. We are extremely grateful.
0: I pray, Lord, that each one who has heard this message will sit down and begin to count the cost and come to the place where he realizes that he must begin to live for God. Otherwise, he will lose everything. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for for sealing us with your mark, your identity, which is Christ. Thank you so much, Lord. For sealing us until that day of judgment when we are spared and when we live for a thousand years, reigning with Christ here on earth. Blessed be your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Let the God say better Amen. Amen. Amen.